0: right? And so, and then the shofar got a you know, but just, this is what we're doing together. This is what it means to be a congregational church and how leadership. So I just wanted to point that out as I get started. But I want to start off today, because we are talking about the differences and how, how God uses different kinds of leaders, is there is it a great debate a, a on a very Serious and important thing uh, that, that this debate that goes on in certain circles, and I want to highlight that this morning, and it's the the debate over who was the better captain of the Starship Enterprise. Yes, this is this is vital. Um, people get really into this, and so. And I'm really sticking to just the, the two. I know there's, there's all kinds of spin-offs and that, but the two that I watched. Uh, so the original Star Trek, we have Captain Kirk. And his leadership style was he, was he would just jump into a situation and figure it out. Like he had this spontaneous, he would see it, Oftentimes his officers, you know, disagreed with him or like, why is he doing this? And he would just say, trust me and go and that was the way he operated as a leader always seemed to work out for him and they yes and they so people love captain kirk and, and the way he'd, he'd always find some way out captain picard from the next generation he had a different style so something would come up he would gather his officers and he would say options opinions you know and And the actor is like a Shakespearean actor guy, and so he just had a different demeanor in him. And so he would hear from all his officers what they thought of the situation. He would gather all kinds of knowledge, and then only then issue a decision about what to do. And so he would then say, All right, let's set a course for the direction. Uh, I will say I kind of appreciate Picard's style of leadership. better in the sense of how to how to operate as a team and he did it that way I know right there I've issued heresy for some people but that's that's my take so I bring this up because in part of the leadership in God's kingdom means setting a direction for the church there there are decisions that need to be made that will set the course for how the church goes. And the, the passage that we're in today is one where the, the apostles and elders, the early church makes a decision that, that would change everything if they would have gone a different way. They set the course for the church that still operates today. If they would have decided this differently, I doubt that we would be here. If they would have said, nope, we're going to go a different direction. If they would have said that Gentile believers, non Gentile, by the way, just means non-Jewish. Non-Jewish Christians would have to follow the same laws as the, the Jews did from the Old Testament. It would change so much for how we operate. And I don't think the church actually would have grown. I think it would have faded away as just another Jewish sect. So what is the issue? That comes up in Acts 15. It's this. Do non-Jewish converts to Christianity have to follow the Old Testament laws of the Jews? And specifically, do they need to be circumcised to become a full Christian follower? So do they need to be circumcised? Circumcision was the mark of being part of the people of God in the Old Testament Course it was only for boys it's a procedure uh, that deals with the foreskin in a very sensitive area uh, for for little boys to to have that procedure as an adult is much more painful from what I understand but uh, actually nowadays we do it for hygienic reasons um, oftentimes for as a just a normal course whether you're Jewish or not so as I look at this we, I want to put up a map, because I think this might help understand what's going on if, I, as much as you might be able to see this. So the first believers, follow, the first disciples were Galilean Jews, meaning they were Jews from Galilee. Nazareth is in Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is up in Galilee. So when Jesus first got followers, Peter, James, John, all those guys were up in the north. To north, uh, the north part of Israel. Okay? Eventually, though, when the church started to form, it formed in Jerusalem, which was in Judea. So then you would have Judean Jew, uh, uh, Jewish Christians who would be part of the church. So these are all people who've come become part of the church. So, so Jewish people from around Jerusalem in that area would have been part of the church. And then they talked about how they started to reach people who, it's called Diaspora Jews, which means the dispersion. So there were Jewish people in all the cities all around the Mediterranean world and beyond, and that God had set that up. So, so now there were Jewish Christians who did not come from either Judea or Galilee, but were in these different cities, but now believed. Now they were living in Jerusalem initially, but then later it starts to spread out. I could have added to this list Samaritans. Uh, uh, Acts chapter 8 and 9 talks about how uh, in Samaria they started, and that's in between Galilee and Judea. But the point is it was only later that you started to get non-Jewish people Beginning to put their faith in Christ, so the church operated for quite a while, just as a part of the Jewish world, and and in fact, it describes that happening in, in Acts twelve and thirteen. Uh, they they the realize, hey, Gentiles can become Christians as well. So they started sharing the good news with with non Jews, and Antioch became one of the first. Churches that had a good number of non-Jewish believers in Christ, followers of Christ. And Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul, end up being the teachers in that church. Then in Acts 13, Barnabas and Paul are sent by that same church, hey, let's go out to the cities and start telling them, other cities, other believers, about Christ and the good news and the message of the gospel. And this is what is happening in Acts 13 and 14. And people, the Greeks and Romans, they're they're attracted to the message of Christ. And they're coming to salvation. They're coming to believe. They're receiving the Holy Spirit. Some of the people who are most drawn in are what would be called God-fearers. And those are Gentiles, uh, Greeks maybe, who they were going to the synagogue and listening to the messages, but they weren't becoming fully Jewish, right? They weren't going all the way to becoming Jews, but they were attracted to the message about God. And then along comes Paul and Barnabas that says, let me tell you about this God. He he sent his son. And now through Jesus, you can have salvation too. You don't have to become Jewish. So that has all taken place. And now in Acts 15, this... This thing is starting to come to a head, because what is happening in Acts 15, it says, so some men came from Judea who are saying to the the Greek Christians in Antioch, hey, you guys have to be circumcised and start following the Old Testament Jewish law. And it says right away, now there's a debate taking place in this controversy. The the debate is going on. so some Jewish believers insist the new Gentile believers must be circumcised else they are not saved. And it's it's it says there's no small dissension and debate in Antioch over this issue. I don't know if you know anything about the apostle Paul. He he was a debater, right? I can imagine he is not sitting down taking this calmly. He there's They're going, you know, they're talking about this. And they're wrestling with this. And how do they decide it? How do they figure out how to to resolve this? Well, they decide to send a group, including Paul and Barnabas, to the, the church in Jerusalem, which would be like the mother church. right? It was the church from which it all started. And that's where the apostles are. The same guys who followed Jesus around way back when. So they start to head down to Jerusalem on the way it says you know because there's churches in between Antioch and Jerusalem they start to Paul and Barnabas tell the story of how how the gospel has been going around and now they're believers in these, these various cities you can sort of see the map the arrows are pointing to the different cities at this point where the good news has spread it's still pretty small it's not all over but but it has started to spread. And as they share that story, people are, oh, it's so exciting. This message is spreading. And then they get to Jerusalem. And it says they're, they're welcomed by the church. So the church overall welcomes them. Hey, we're glad you're here. But we see in verse 5, it says, But some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So that is the disagreement going on. A few interesting things. There are Pharisees who have become Christians, followers of Christ. Uh, if you know the, the story, in the Gospels, the Pharisees are kind of the opponents of Jesus. And, and most of them rejected Jesus, but some did come to believe. So Jesus won some of them over, even if it was after the fact, after he had been crucified. So there are some. And the Pharisees are people who are very attentive to the demands of God's law. That was part of what a, a, a Pharisee was. That's They said, you know, we got to keep the law. And so they bring that mindset in with them into the church. And, and they would have had verses that would, for their argument, namely Genesis 17:4 says, "Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant." Right. So under the Old Testament covenant, you know this was expected. Circumcision was the mark of being part of God's people. And it, it's natural they might think, well, that's, that, that should still be true. And so that's where the debate is going on. You know, they're, they're thinking it's great these Gentiles are now believing in God and believing in the Son of God, but they've got to keep the law, and they've got to be circumcised to be a part of this thing. So they have a big church meeting. It says the apostles and the elders, they gather together, and they've got to talk this out. You know, we cannot leave this unanswered. This has to get settled, or else our church is going to break apart. And again, do you think if they kept this requirement, what would have happened to the church? Try to imagine that out in your mind, if, this, if they would have gone with what the, the party of the Pharisees said. And I'd said in the Greek and Roman cities, there were a good number of what's called the God-fearers, who are attracted to the Jewish mes- message of one God, one God who has given his law and the, the Ten Commandments and who created all things. But these folks were not going to go the full route of, of conversion, of being, being a proselyte, meaning go through with circumcision and become, become fully Jewish. So, so, so the other thing I want to note is it, it speaks of both apostles and elders. So we know the apostles. There were twelve of them appointed by Jesus. They traveled with him. He sent them out. The word apostle means those who are sent out. They were sent out to by Jesus at different times. Now they're gathered together. They lost one in Judas and they replaced him with another guy. I actually forget the guy's name. But, anyways, Matthias. Matthias. There you go. Thank you. Um, so they they do this, but they also have elders, which means other leaders from within the community of believers. And, in fact, we'll see that James is one of the other the elders who's not an apostle but is an elder. And so there's probably lots of debate, verse 7. And after there had been much debate, I've been told that annual meetings can be like that, but never at East Glenville Church. Everything is always... Smooth and harmonious. Our last meeting was really smooth and harmonious, but so, and most of our meetings happen. Uh, but, but that's yeah, hypothetically in other churches, they argue. Peter, and then it says Peter, stands up to speak. So you know who Peter is. One of the 12. If you watch The Chosen, it's the guy in the center there of the screen. A- in fact, he's the one Jesus calls the rock. Who's on whom he's going to build his church, if there's anyone who's naturally in charge, it would be Peter. In fact, the word Peter just means rock, by the way. His real name is Simon, which later his name, Simeon or Simon, comes up. So, so but Peter stands up and he begins to speak. And he says, he reminds me, it was by my mouth, well, God made a choice among us. And it was by my mouth, that the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. What's he talking about? So he's referring to something that happens in Acts 10. would invite you to kind of read through that later. And in Acts 10, God engineers the, the first real non-Jewish converts to the faith. There's a, a, a man named Cornelius. He's a, a Roman uh, centurion who is is he's one of those god godfears he's interested in the jewish message and and god you could read it like god has to like give peter a vision he has to give cornelius a vision to to make it all happen and he he gets peter finally to go to cornelius's house and and he tells cornelius about jesus and what it means to be saved and how it all works and what's interesting is peter doesn't actually Finish the sermon. God just pours out a spirit upon Cornelius and all of the household in the middle of the sermon, because it, that it's just so. So as Peter says, God made a choice. He he poured out a spirit. He gave a spirit to not only Cornelius but members of his household, and and so at, in that in Acts ten, Peter said, "I I should baptize them." If God did this. So that happened in before, and he's saying if God has already started this work, if this is what God is doing, we, we shouldn't get in the way. And why, Peter says, why should we put a burden, a yoke on the neck of Gentiles, meaning the, the Jewish law that our forefathers couldn't bear? right? Why, why should we hinder God's grace going out? To, to these people, by putting on these requirements that, that it 's not, it's not from God, for them, it 's something our own people have trouble, and, and he reminds them in, the, in one of the verses, it, it says it says, "We believe that we will be saved through grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they are. We will be saved. Grace means an undeserved gift." And later in the Bible, it will make clear that none of us are saved by observing the law. None of us are saved by our own works. We are all given salvation as an undeserved gift when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's Peter's argument. Then, in verse 12, Barnabas and Paul get up. And it says, the whole assembly goes silent. And Barnabas and Paul begin to tell the story of how the Gentiles have started to come to faith. Interesting enough, it it's it Barnabas and Paul. We, we often talk more about Paul because he becomes prominent later. But at this stage, Barnabas is the one the church is going to more likely trust. Paul had actually persecuted the church for a while. And Barnabas is the one that he, he was recognized as a man full of, of the spirit and full of faith. So, but both of them are speaking and they tell about how they had gone to this city and that city and did this and that. I wonder if they told the story that's told in Genesis 14, 11, how how there's a man crippled from birth and Paul spoke and the man was healed and began walking. And then after they did that, the people were so amazed, they thought that Barnabas and Paul was was uh, Zeus and Hermes and tried to offer sacrifices to them and they had to stop them and like like how challenging it was to do all this ministry. I, they might have told that story, but but the point being is that God was doing amazing things, signs and wonders, amongst the the Greeks and the Romans and these cities, and we need to to not get in the way of what God is doing, and so they made the same point that this that the inclusion of the Gentiles in the church is God's initiative, not ours. Okay, so Peter spoke. Paul and Barnabas have shared the story. I mean, shouldn't that settle it? Not quite. One more person steps up, and this time it's James. He, he steps up. He begins to speak. Now, this is not James the Apostle. There was a James the Apostle, a uh, big James if you watch The Chosen. And this is actually James, the brother of Jesus, who writes a letter, the letter of James in the, the New Testament. He, he had doubted Jesus at one point and then came to believe in his, his brother as the Son of God after the resurrection. And he does not have the status of apostle, he is, it seems, an elder. an acknowledged leader, spiritual leader among the community. And he summarizes what Simon and Peter has said. And so he he first does that, and and then he talks about, and so Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles, and then he quotes Scripture. He says, what's going on is actually what Scripture told us would happen. And he cites Amos nine, one of the Old Testament prophets. He cites it from the the Septuagint Greek version. So it might be a little different if you looked it up in the version we have in our Bible, but he's citing accurately with the Bible that they had in Greek. And and here's what he says. It talks about in Amos nine how when God does something, though he will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. And we'll rebuild its ruins and restore it. Now, his hearers would have understood this. So I have to explain it. David had been the greatest king of Israel. In his time, the, the people of God were at its peak. And then, over time, the leadership had been corrupted and the people had fallen. They had, and the, the line of David had been cut off. The last king was killed by the Babylonians. And so people thought, this is it. There'll be no more. And then one of the prophets said, there will come a branch that will come from the stump of the line of David, a stump of Jesse, who was David's father. So a branch will come up. So that little tree stump, we we thought it's cut off. God's going to do something new. God is not done with us. This, This branch will come up. And it will be the restoration of the people. So that's what he's talking about. And they would have immediately recognized that the branch that came up was Jesus. That Jesus was the one through whom God is rebuilding his people. He now, Jesus was now the king, the descendant of David, that had brought salvation, had brought restoration of God's people. So that's Amos verse 9, verse 11. So... So verse 12 says, okay, when God brings that, that restoration, what's going to happen then? And it's, it's, this next verse is this key. And then that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord. So it's talking about how of, among mankind there will be a remnant. There will be some who will join God's people. There will be some who will be called by the Lord's name. So, so it's combining the fact that it was God's plan all along that when he brought salvation through through Jesus, it would not just be for the Jewish people, it would also be for the Gentiles. He's using this verse to convince them this was God's plan all along. And gent- the Gentiles who are called by my name, Acts 4.12 declares this, for the, um, that, that there is salvation in no one else. Talking about Jesus, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. God gave one name, Jesus Christ. And in him is salvation for Jew and Gentile alike. They're just figuring this out. Maybe this sounds like, yeah, we've heard this before. We've heard it before because we've read about it after the fact. They're just figuring it out that this was God's plan all along. And so, so James is arguing, it makes sense that the Gentiles are included among God's people. It fits with the the, the law or the, the scriptures as they were written. And so we don't have to put opposition in the way of them becoming Part of God's people, they don't have to become Jews before they can join salvation. They can join salvation as Gentiles, as Greeks and Romans and Galatians and all the other other names. He gives one other evidence for this, and um, it, it says in verse twenty-one. The, the closes out. I, I love this. He says, "Hey brothers, realize from ancient generations Moses." Has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. He's talking about how how for many years the the Old Testament scriptures, the Moses' laws, the laws given by Moses, were being read in these Greek cities all over. God had arranged it that throughout the whole Mediterranean world there were communities of Jews who were proclaiming uh, the, the Old Testament laws. The, these, God was paving the way, and now he's going to open the doors for the Gentiles to come in, right? God had set it up, and now he's going to open the door. So he, he, he's the one then, James is the one who issues the decision. So therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. In other words, they do not need to keep the Jewish law and be circumcised, we should not put this burden on them that they were not meant to bear. Now, does that mean they don't have, they, they could do whatever they want? No. The, the moral laws given in the Bible are still applicable to all believers. He's talking about the specific Jewish laws that made someone Jewish, like co- eating kosher or the temple system or the, the, even the way the Sabbath laws were applied like so, so all that stuff, but, um, and certainly circumcision. But the moral laws like do not murder, do not steal, do not do all, that's still, that's God's heart for all people. Uh, so he spells that out by saying he gave, he gave three specific things. One is no sexual immorality. I realize I chose a font. You probably could barely read that as I'm looking. Um, so they do not need to keep the Jewish law, but, but three other things. no sexual immorality. Um, that's still a part of it no idol worship. We're still called to only worship one God. You know, don't mess with things that are a, a part of idol worship. And then he adds one more, which is a little bit harder, no drinking of blood. So just so you know, I don't want any of you going out there slaughtering an animal, drinking its blood. Uh, the It talks about, you know, no strangling of animals. That's a, a connection. Like, the reason you would strangle an animal is so that you're not killing it by letting the blood out. Like normal butchering is that you drain the blood of an animal, then you cook it. And that was the Jewish practice. There were things going on in the Romans and Greeks and stuff. Sometimes they would, they would inc- keep the blood in, and there's all kinds of stuff. I, I suggest two reasons why he, he has this law one of which is actually, there's a, a law that predates the law of Moses. In Genesis 9, this is to Noah. So in other words, it applies to all mankind, not just to the Jews. God says, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Meaning, it's, you don't have to be vegetarians. You're allowed to eat meat. But then he says, but you shall not eat the meat with its life, that is its blood, still in it. So back in Genesis 9, God set the rule, it's okay to eat the animals, the things, but you just have to drain the blood. So that's, that's why I think James includes that as a requirement for uh, Gentiles as well. One other reason I've, I saw cited is that it, it, otherwise, it's so that Jews and Gentiles can, can have table fellowship. Right If the Jews are, can't eat that kind of meat and the Gentiles can, that, that would keep them from, from being able to share a meal together. And so I, said, I think that's the other reason why he includes this law. So that's the decision. The apostles and elders of the church make a decision that set the course for the church going forward, the church universal. And I just I share this because I think it's fascinating how it all came together, how, how each had their say, the different leaders that contributed to this decision. I also think it's especially fascinating that James is the one who issues the final decision that that kind of puts that forth. It wasn't Peter, per se, or even Paul, but James had that role of speaking. And I, th- I think it might be because James, as, as one of an elder, was was kind of the one, people kind of knew and so they you know they they would trust if it's coming from him that this is the decision that we're moving forward I want to offer two truths two points that I want to draw for us out of this passage today and the one is is simply this we should not assume the way another person follows Jesus Will look exactly the same way as we we follow Jesus. So so the Jews in their minds are thinking, well, if we we follow the Lord by keeping the law, we should you know shouldn't they do so as well? But but we shouldn't make that assumption. And the best modern day example I I have for that is the movie The Jesus Revolution. We watched that again last night. I'd seen it before. And it's, it's about how in the 70s you had a very formal church, everyone wearing suits and ties and, you know, upstanding older citizens coming to the church, and, and Kelsey Grammer is the pastor of it. And you could tell he's frustrated, like, you know, the world's going to, to pieces in the 70s, and here we are just this small little flock. And then they, he gets connected to a hippie a young guy who who's just who's who, who's come to know Jesus and is seeing things happen and so the hippies start coming to this very traditional church and the church struggles with it cuz they don't wear shoes and and they don't wear suits and ties and they're coming into the church and they love Christ and they want to learn the bible They want to learn how to follow Christ, but they don't look kind of like the older crowd who, who's different. And it's interesting how in that eventually they, they find a way to draw them in and they like different music. And so this is part of what's called the Jesus revolution movie. I, I, it'd be great if you watched it. I think it's on Netflix right now. Uh, It'd be, it it was about the Jesus movement of the seventies. Like this is a literally true story that happened. And, and I've, I had a friend who became a Christian in the Jesus movement. He talked about how the, 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 up, the, the churches of the time really did have a hard time bringing in the hippies. He was a hippie into the church, and they, they had trouble bringing in these folks and, and including them because it didn't, the way they followed Jesus didn't look like the way the church people were following Jesus. And like, oh, they, they, can't, be a, they can't really be Christians, can they? One of the the scenes in the church is how so you had the pastor Kelsey Grammer, and then he had he had like a group of three elders or older guys who were leaders, and when he finally decides we're going to let these people stay in our church, two of his elders walk out, but one stays. One says no, you guys belong here, and so that that decision that they make. Changes a lot for that particular congregation. So the first thing is, we shouldn't assume the way others follow Jesus might look different from us. We've got to be careful about imposing standards, our standards on others that aren't from God. The second thing is, in God's design, is he brings together in his body of believers different personalities and gifts among the leaders. God loves to... Um, bring together different kinds of leaders to, to do the work. And that this is, this is why I get excited about. I want to highlight like Paul, Peter, and James. I know Barnabas was also with Paul, but just to, to keep it simple, those three guys each were, were key leaders in the church, and yet each were different in how they approached their work. And so, so Paul, he was focused on the mission of the church. He was committed to taking the the gospel of Jesus Christ out there to to new places, to new cities, to to more people. He says, it's been my ambition to preach the gospel where, where no one else has preached it yet. Paul was all out focused on the mission of the church and out there. And you could think of him today as a missionary. Peter, I would suggest that Peter was focused on the direction of the church he, he kind of thought like you could call him a pastor which a pastor is a, shep, a shepherd of the flock and he wanted to make sure that the flock headed in the right direction that they were being faithful to the call of jesus so so while paul looked out there at the mission, Peter was looking at the flock, making sure, hey guys, we need to head in the right direction. He was the, the teacher. He's the one that would always get up and talk and speak and, and give the messages. Um, and then you would have James. And I would suggest James is focused on the health of the church, or the soundness of the church. That that he would be like the elder or overseer for the sheep, watching over, making sure there's not um, things that are that are Doing damage to the church, he he's making sure the church is, is functioning the way it should should function. I, I see those three models, and you could come up with others, but I see those three. People tend to fall in one of those three as as leaders within the church. When I started in ministry, I was I was in Paul mode. My first uh, position was full time was as a Young Life staff person, I was sent to a small town in Ohio to start up a new ministry. I remember in my early 20s, going to this town, didn't know anyone, and they got set up with an apartment. And I, my goal was to, to try to meet teenagers, <laughs> convince them to come to a thing so I could talk about Jesus. And it was very much a Paul type of, of ministry. And so I loved it. It was great and, and some Awesome times. So I think I was trained as a Paul in that mission. Um, I realized as I got older, I'm actually more of a Peter. And Peter I see as the preacher, the teacher. And now as I was a pastor, I relate to him. What direction are we headed in as a church? And, and while Paul was the one who went forth to new places, Peter was the one who stayed he stayed with the sheep, making sure that they were they were they were going the right way to lead them even as persecution built Peter stayed in their midst um, and now of course we we talk about the Jameses who who are watching out for the the sheep I see the elders it, it kind of very much in that that they're making sure they're caring well for one another and 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 leading from within the community. The, the elders are called like James. They're, they're part of the community, and they lead from within it. And, and that's where I find it's interesting that James is the one who issued the final decision, not Peter. It's like, you know, even back then, they couldn't trust the preachers to make the final decision. You had to have some other leaders who uh, did that. So, so the image I have and the the next slide, is in God's design, he brings together in one body all the different types of believers, and all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So God, God puts people, and, and these, these different kinds of leaders together in one body. And in that same passage, it talks about apostles and teachers and those who, who actually do healing and all the stuff that God brings them together. And I, 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 the image I have is, is that of a, a shepherd. Because all of the leaders function as a shepherd in some way, they're, they're watching over the flock. But, but what I picture, I picture Paul and Barnabas, you know, they're over at the crest of the hill. They're way out there and f- way distant from the sheep, and they're saying, hey, guys, this is, this is the mission spot right here. This is where we need to go. And then I picture Peter, and Peter's with the flock, and he's saying he's the one that's working with the sheep to say, all right, let's get all the sheep together. Let's head in that direction. Peter sees Paul, and he sees where Paul is headed, and he's like, yes, that's the direction God's leading. So Peter's making sure the sheep are gathered and they're heading that right way, but then you got to have the the Jameses, the elders, who are looking or watching within the sheep. Are the sheep operating the right way? Like, and, and if you read James's letter, you know what, what's he saying to the sheep? Stop, stop cursing your brother, right? Stop, stop doing all these wrong things to one another. Make sure everyone's treated well within the body. And and hey, you rich sheep, stop um, exploiting the poor sheep. You know, make sure you pay your employees well is what he's saying. And, and, and then um, James is also the one that says, hey, you're not a sheep. You're a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? So the Jameses are watching out for that kind of thing. That's how I picture leadership in the kingdom of God when God brings together these three kinds of leaders. Two questions just to, to think about when you go with this. Which of the three do you relate with more? Which of the three, you know, yeah, I think this one fits how, who I am and how I tend to operate and think. Um, and the truth is we need people from all three types. And, and where have you seen within the church God using these different types of leaders together? Where have you seen, oh, yeah, I, I operate this way, but I've seen that. I'm so glad that God brought this person along because they're, they're, they're meeting a need that I wouldn't see, I wouldn't be thinking about. Where have you seen God's people operate differently in, in the working of the church? Let's pray. Father, we're convinced that ultimately you are the, the chief shepherd. Uh, Jesus, you are the good shepherd for the sheep. You are the one who laid down his, your life for us, that we might have life everlasting, and we want to follow you we thank you that in our midst, you have apportioned, as you will, the different leaders who who operate in different ways according to your will, according to the, how you made them, the gifts you've given them. And I do pray for the different leaders within this church, men and women who who see the needs in our our, our, our operating according to the, the gifts and putting them into action to, and teaching and, and guiding and administrating and caring for others. Lord, empower them by your Spirit so that all of us are operating under the power of your Spirit as we do the work you called us to. And may we function as a body as, as you lead. In Jesus' name, amen.